Um, I want to pray. I'd like to pray. Let's pray. Father, you are here with us by your Spirit. Oh, how quickly I move past that reality that in Jesus you're here and you're not going anywhere. Lord, fill us this morning. Fill us with your presence. Your presence makes all the difference. And because of Jesus, we can have it. And that changes the way we relate to one another. It changes the way husbands treat wives and wives treat husbands. It changes the way children uh, treat their parents and parents care for their kids. Roommates. It changes every relationship. When you come, when you move in, we're changed. And so, Lord, this sermon will fall flat unless your spirit is at work. It's not by might, not my might, not my power, but by your spirit. And so come, Holy Spirit, and do a great work this morning in all of us, including me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome again. We're happy you're here to worship with us. Um, we're going to go back in time to 1878, and an uh, author you've all heard of, Robert Louis Stevenson, Jekyll and Hyde, Treasure Island. Um, he wrote another book, not as famous, called The Picturesque Notes of Edinburgh. He was a Scottish uh, man, and he wanted to take some notes and different stories that he kind of came upon. All of them are true, apparently. And one of them I want to share with you about two unmarried sisters who lived together. And they had a falling out about some point of controversial divinity, as he said, a.k.a. theology, okay? And, you know, he's in Edinburgh, and you may know that Edinburgh uh, Presbyterians hang out there, or used to, okay? So these are Presbyterian sisters fighting it out, duking it out about finer points of theology. And listen to what he said. They disagreed about something. They never, he never really described what it was exactly. But they never spoke again. They lived in the same house and they drew a line in the middle of their bedroom. Almost put a picture of Bart Simpson with, with his wife and his part was like really small and her part was the most of the room. But I didn't want to distract you too much. But they drew this line, and they never crossed it, and they never spoke to one another again. They lived, as he described, the rest of their lives in silence towards one another. It was family acting like strangers, acting like aliens, acting like enemies. And you know this, that this happens in our homes too. We may not draw the line, but the lines are drawn in here. And actually... As you well know, in the last five or six years, uh, the great chalk line has been drawn in our society, maybe in a clearer way than we've seen in a long, long time. So what was this couple of sisters' problem? It's actually the same one that we run into today. 
and maybe the same one that you're dealing with in your own home or maybe in here. Unforgiving and unreconciling people either don't yet understand that they have forgiveness and reconciliation available to them in Christ or they've just simply ignored this reality. Horizontal forgiveness and reconciliation According to the scriptures, this, this unity that we all crave is only possible because of the vertical, horizontal, or vertical reconciliation and forgiveness that we've been given in Jesus. If he's the root, his amazing grace is the root, then unity is the fruit. And this is what Paul understands, what we seem to forget, or we haven't learned quite yet. And Patrick has said it most every week so far in the series on Ephesians, but the word in Christ or some similar word in him shows up 33 times in this letter, this small letter to the Ephesians. Of only about 150 or so in the whole New Testament, 33 in this one short letter. So it's a really important theme and we're going to see another important aspect of our union with Christ and what it does, that it yields unity with one another. Our union with Christ yields unity with each other. So we're going to explore this union we have in Jesus, and then we're going to see how it brings about the unity that we all crave. So union begets unity. Those are my two simple points uh, this morning. If you will, um, I'd like us to stand as we read God's Word just as a sign of honoring a God who speaks to us, a God who wants to know us this much that He would give us his word. So this is Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. For he himself But now, sorry, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this union we have been given in Christ. Let's focus there first. So Paul begins uh, this section of chapter 2 with the word, therefore. And that's a cue for the reader that what he's about to say, is dependent on what came before, what he said just before this. Um, Patrick reminded us, um, again, that 
in this series, we're kind of framing it this way, that the first three chapters of Ephesians are the song of the gospel, and the, the, the latter three chapters are the dance of the gospel. And one way to think about chapter two is that it's kind of that song and dance in miniature. And last week we heard the song of the gospel, that it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God so that no man, no woman can boast. That's the song of the gospel. That's what you want you to hear every week you come here, the song of the gospel. But why? So we can dance to it. So we know how to relate to one another. Um, you heard that song last week. I won't preach that sermon again. Um, but that simple verse, Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith. This verse changed Western civilization as we know it. 500 years ago, Martin Luther rediscovered this simple biblical truth that Jesus, not the church, is the mediator between us and God. They had, the church had gotten off track. And he said, he's reading Ephesians 2, and he goes, it's, it sounds like it's Jesus and not the church who's the mediator between God and us. It's by grace. It's not by works that you've been saved. So no one can boast. And the way that we get to know this God, the way that we enter into relationship with him is by trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ. And this, friends, this shifted the world as we know it. Other things that happened in the Reformation, it's just that we can have a personal relationship with God and not one mediated through the church only. We can know him on our own as well. And this is why we should read the scriptures. And, you know, the Reformation was pushed along and fueled by this powerful idea that literacy Biblical literacy and literacy in general is for every person, not just the elites of the day as it was back then. And I could go on about the Reformation. This is not Reformation Sunday, don't worry. But it's important to have that review about why did he say therefore? He's saying, remember what I just said, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. That's the song. And now we're going to hear an aspect of that dance. How do we relate to one another? So it changed the world by faith, by grace, through faith, changed the world forever. But has it changed your world? Has it changed your life? Has it changed your relationships? And here's how you know it has, Paul says. Take a hard look at your closest friendships, your closest relationships. Are they marked by division? By the line, are they marked by grace and peace? This peace that he comes to preach to us. In your marriage, is the song of grace through faith propelling you to lean in to one another, even if, even if they've hurt you? Even if they've misunderstood you? Even if you've hurt them? Is this song of the gospel propelling you to lean in instead of lean away? And if you're not leaning in, it may be because the CD, which the song of Jesus that's been given to you has been scratched. Remember when we had CDs and it get scratched and it didn't really work? Couldn't really hear it anymore? And now we have streaming services, right? So maybe your subscription needs to be renewed. 
Hey, you knew I threw at least one corny pastor joke in. At least one. Maybe, maybe a few more coming up. Let's see. But that song, have you been listening to that song in your marriage? Have you been listening to that song in the way you treat your parents? In the way you treat your roommate? The way you treat your employees? Have you been listening to that song? Have you been listening to another song? Think about that. And here's how we know the way we treat one another. That will tell us the song we've been listening to. Paul says, therefore, to help us to see that what he writes now, again, is dependent on what he came before, namely our union with Christ by grace through faith. And what does he say right away is dependent on that union with Christ? It's the unity that we all crave. The unity we all crave. Let's look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So this beginning, like verse 11, may not come across very well for us modern people, so let me quickly set it in its context. In those days, the word, the the uncircumcision, was a a Jewish term um, of derision. And and it signified that the Gentile, anyone that was non-Jewish, was outside the covenant people of God. And so they would throw around this word as a term of derision. And the Greeks, similarly, viewed the Jews with disdain, as much hostility as far back as the writings of Plato. And so what is Paul saying? He's telling his his um, Gentile Christian church in Ephesus, he's, been t- he's telling them that those who were once outsiders, who were viewed as outsiders by his own people, he's a Jew, they were derided as strangers and aliens and separated from Christ, he says. They had no hope and they were without God in the world, he says. He's saying that's no longer the case. That's ancient history. In Christ, you who are outside are now inside. You who were once derided for who you look like and what you, where you come from, no longer. You are family in Jesus because of his grace. Verse 13, let's look there real quick. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. I loved how Patrick said this last week. He said, sin is not a flesh wound, it's a death sentence. Anybody else love Monty Python as much as Patrick? (laughs) Me. I was joking with my friends uh, the other day, so next year is my 37th birthday, and uh, I call, I'm calling it my Dennis birthday. Does anybody get it? He says, I'm, I'm 37. I'm not old. So I'm going to ask my friends to dress up like their favorite Monty Python costume. So we got a year. So, hey, start looking now, guys. All right. Anyway, that was totally uh, not related to what I'm saying. Um, all right. So in uh, verse 14, 
So it's not a flesh wound, right? It's, it's a death sentence. That's what sin does. It breaks apart our relationship with God, and it breaks apart our relationships this way. That's what sin does. And what does Paul say? But now, in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near. This dividing wall has been torn down by the one who is our peace, Christ himself. Um, I learned this, that in Jerusalem and in Istanbul, there are uh, what scholars have called the Thanatos inscriptions. And these were so-called death inscriptions. And they used to be written on the outside of a certain wall in the temple of Jerusalem before it was destroyed in the first century. And they found this inscription, and it says this, this wall that separated the Gentiles, the Gentile court from the rest of the temple, it read this, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. So this was a dividing wall of hostility. And this may have likely been in the mind of Paul when he says that Christ has torn them down. Why? He's speaking to Gentiles. He's speaking to the uncircumcision, as they were called. And he's saying it's been torn down. It's been torn down. It makes uh, Twitter look pretty friendly, right? But Paul is saying that the walls that look impervious to us, that look impossible to climb over, to look impossible to raise, have been, in fact, leveled in Christ. So I want to ask you, which walls in your own life, we all have them, which walls seem to be the hardest to raise between other people that you love or maybe you used to love or you're having a hard time loving right now? Kent Hughes, a theologian, says this, the ultimate answer to vertical and horizontal alienation is not intellectual or political or social, but spiritual. The answer comes when we cross the broken barrier and thus come near to God and then near to each other. It's not political. It's not social. It's spiritual. This is what we need to cross those barriers. We need spiritual help. And this is what Christ offers us. Um, We have curtains in our living room, and they were really cheap from Amazon, and they're really just for looks. They don't block, like, any light at all. We spent a little bit more for heavier curtains in our bedroom because, at least me, I like it to be pretty dark at night and in the morning. I don't like the sun just beaming through, waking me up, and can sleep through anything, but I can't. So we bought a little bit thicker curtain to block the light so that I can sleep a little bit better. Do you know what fell when Jesus was crucified? The curtain. And where was that curtain? Remind me. In the Holy of Holies. Matthew's gospel records that that curtain, which was inches thick, some say about a foot thick, that, court, that curtain was rent from top to bottom. It was about 60 feet tall, at least as big as a stage. Ripped from top to bottom when Christ was crucified. 
there's a picture um, that this artist, Mike Moyers, wrote, uh, painted of this that I thought was so beautiful. Torn, it's called. The dividing line between sinners like us and a holy God has been torn in two. The dividing wall of hostility between us and God in Christ's death was raised. Whereas before Christ, the law must be kept for God's people to enjoy access to a holy God. Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death now means that we are granted to have intimacy with the God of all things. In His torn body and His blood, we are one with God. A new era, a new covenant has been ushered in in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. It's the cross, friends. The cross is the reason we can cross barriers. It's not the latest and greatest information about how we're just, we just need to get along. And how we're, it's 2022, what's wrong with you? I don't know about you, that doesn't really help me. I know we should be better, but simply knowing we should be better and more united as late modern people doesn't really help all that much, it seems. We need something greater. We need something spiritual. We need something to happen between us and God if we're going to love each other. I think we need to hear this a couple days before Election Day. In God's providence, this is the text, guys. We did not plan this, okay? I promise. This is the text for today. On the cross, Paul says that he killed the hostility between us. Between you and the person with whom you cannot stand to be around. You cannot stand to see on the internet. You've already unfriended them. And when they pop into your head, your blood boils. You know that God killed the hostility between you and them? He killed the hostility. He didn't wound the hostility. He didn't show them the door. He killed the hostility in his death. And not just between each other, but most importantly, between us and God. That's what the cross accomplished. The hostility between a perfect God and an imperfect people, a righteous judge and an unrighteous people, that hostility has been leveled, has been done away with, has been buried. Do you act like that? Do you tweet like that? Paul says that Jesus has come by his spirit and preached peace to us. Preached peace. That's one of my favorite passages. Jesus, the preacher, what is he preaching to you today? Peace. And this is nearly an exact quote of something that God said 800 years before through Isaiah the prophet. Let's read just a few verses from chapter 57. Another one of my favorite passages. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him 
who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. We could stop right there. I could just hang it up. That, that in and of itself is incredible, but he goes on. Listen to what the God of the universe says. This person who dwells in a high and holy place, whose name is holy, and also with the person who's contrite and lowly of spirit. Why does he do that? To revive the spirit of the lowly. We were reminded last week we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He comes to revive us, this holy God, and to revive the heart of the contrite, the dead heart, the calloused heart, the divided heart. I have seen his ways. In other words, I've seen his sin, your sin, my sin, but I will heal him. I will heal her. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. What is this peace that Christ preaches? A healing peace. A peace that breaks down walls that you've constructed in your house, walls that you've constructed with silence towards your spouse, Anger towards your parents. Now, I'm not saying that we ignore problems. This is not what Paul is saying. He preaches peace. He doesn't preach ease. He doesn't preach ignore. He doesn't preach downplay or sweep under the rug. He preaches peace. That's different. Friends, this is the gospel, the one who is high and holy, whose name is holy, who inhabits eternity, comes to dwell and longs to dwell with people who need healing, people who need to be revived, people whose marriages need to be revived, people whose relationships with those they should be close with but who are estranged from them for whatever reason, he brings healing. He can. This is why Christ came. To make peace in his body on the cross. Friends, the simple message today is this union with Christ is why we can have unity with one another. All right, say it to your neighbor. You ready? Union, therefore, unity. Union, therefore, unity. All right, one more time. I know this is hard for us. I know this is weird. But one more time. Union, therefore, unity. See, the world does not understand that. The world will preach unity, unity, but has forgotten or just never learned union with Christ. So we, as his people, flawed, yes, need of healing, yes, need of revival, yes. We need to remind them it's only through union with Christ that we can be united together. On Tuesday, when you go to the election, whatever it's called, the place where you go to vote, that place, when you go there, if you're going, I don't know, some of you are way too young, are you going to go thinking that through my vote, I can create unity? Or are you going to go saying, Lord, only you can. And it's only through my union with you that I can have unity with someone who voted very differently than me, 
And so, Lord, help me to lean into you today, especially on this crazy Tuesday and this crazy moment we live in. Help me to, to rest in the fact that I don't deserve to know you, and yet you want to know me. I don't deserve to have your love, and yet you have poured it out in your son, Jesus. Rest in that on Tuesday, friends, and Wednesday and Thursday after the fallout, right? Rest in your union with Christ. Don't rest on your vote. Don't rest on a politician. They're going to fail. We know that. If you've, been along, if you've been alive longer than two years, you know that politicians will fail you. Okay, so, but Jesus doesn't. And do we act like that? Do we type like that? Do we text like that? Do we speak to our relatives at Thanksgiving like that? That it's union that creates unity? Or do we have it backwards? That if we just vote the right way, then we'll be okay. Friends, this is a great time to rest in your union with Christ. Before I close, I want to share just a few highlights from this recent interview um, that I heard. Uh, Shai Lin is a follower of Jesus, a pastor, and a hip-hop artist in Philadelphia. I know, awesome conglomeration of things. Um, I remember listening to him in seminary, and I was like, who is this guy who can wrap the most intricate and detailed Reformed theology to, like, beats of Wu-Tang Clan? Like, how does he do that? Like, I was just trying to wrap my mind around what he was saying, but also so artistically. This guy is incredible talent, an incredible follower of Jesus. And he said this, I'm pointing people back to the Reformation. He's talking about this book he wrote. He's talking about his art. He's trying to point people back to the Reformation, the recovery of the doctrine of justification. Justification, which says that we are declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from any of our works. And that truth is massive. But the more we understand what God has done for us in Christ through justification, what it should do is to begin to affect how we see both ourselves and how we see others. One of the things I learned from justification is that I am a great sinner and that there is not much that I am incapable of from a sin standpoint which should produce humility. It should keep me from defensiveness. So even when things like so-called racism come up, my understanding of indwelling sin should make me quick to recognize that I'm capable of anything, and I need the Lord. And so I should be able to apply justification when it comes to my brothers and sisters in Christ. So it should make us quick to forgive. It should make us quick to reconcile and quick to repent. Wow. What's he saying? Union, therefore, unity. We need to be people who just bask in this incredible news that we are loved. We shouldn't be, but we are. To marinate in that every day, to spend time with this God who we have access to because of Christ through faith. And that is the fuel for our unity with one another. So to wrap up, how can we walk through Tuesday? How can we walk through, through the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday with love? How can we do it with grace and peace and humility? Friends, it's union with Christ. It's union with Christ alone. 
Are you spending time with this person and letting him change you with his most glorious and gracious presence? So we're going to do that now in prayer. And so I want to invite you to, to bow your head with me. Before we sing, I want to just give you a few moments to reflect on those lines that you've drawn in your heart between another person, maybe between another group, maybe between another party, maybe between um, an ideology. I, I don't know. And for some of you in this room, maybe it's a line that has never come down between you and Christ, between you and God. Here's a moment for all of us to reflect on the lengths that Christ has gone to break down that dividing wall of hostility between us and God and between each other. So reflect on those walls and let him, by his grace, bring them down. I'm going to give you a few moments and then I'll close us in a simple prayer and then we'll sing. Jesus, it's in your flesh that you have broken down the wall of hostility between us and God and us and one another. It's your work, Christ. I pray that we would rest in that work and that we would work in that work. The hard work of loving broken people. Lord, you engaged in that work to the uttermost. Help us to do the same to love people who are hard to love. Lord, that is your heart. So help us to have your heart. Not to follow the way of the world, which is agree with me or else. Which is affirm me or you don't love me. Lord, that is not the way of Jesus. Lord, there's so many things in my life that you don't affirm. My pride, my selfishness, my impatience, my lack of kindness towards people who I should be kind to. Oh, Lord, there's so many lines in my heart that you want to raise. I pray that you would do that for my friends, my brothers, my sisters, our guests this morning. Only you can do it, so Lord, come. Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. as we sing. In Jesus' name.